So we have a lot of these around, don't we? We have so many of these. Like when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and we had a whole drawer in our big buffet. My mom, well, that's what they called it in that time, and, and the bottom drawer was full of Bibles. So we could go in there and find one when we needed it. We had our own Bible, but we had all the extras, right? I mean, we, we have a lot of Bibles in our culture. You can find one in any hotel room. You could get one easily from a bookstore. In fact, if you don't have one, you can grab one right off of the back table that we have back there, and you can take it with you. So there's a lot of access to God's Word, a lot of access to Bibles. In fact, now you can just go on. One of my favorites is Bible Gateway. If you're looking for a place to find the Scripture online, I go to Bible Gateway. You can find any passage you want. You can listen to the Bible on your phone. There's just a lot of access to it. But what sometimes can be the problem is that with Bibles everywhere, it's shocking how easy it is to not use them, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And, and I think that we don't use them because we've become so accustomed to the ease and the access that we sometimes forget exactly what it is that we have. Listen, this is what we have. We have the authoritative, reliable, inspired, preserved, accurate, and understandable words of the God of the universe. Let that sink in for just a second. It's authoritative, reliable, inspired. It's been preserved over thousands of years. It's accurate and it's understandable. I know that sometimes you maybe have read passages that you think, oh, that's not very understandable. It's kind of confusing. But there's a lot of stuff that is really clear. And we have it. We have access to it. And just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe. Have you ever thought... I want to know this or that about God. I know we've all been there at some point, right? We, man, I wish I knew this about God. I wish I understood this about God. And you know what God says? He said, guess what? I'm going to tell you. Listen, this is what God is saying to us. I'm going to tell you everything I want you to know about me. The most important things about me, God is saying, I want you to know them. And I want you to stop and think about how amazing that is. That, that the God of the universe is saying, I want you to know about me, and guess what? I'm going to write it down for you. We, we, isn't it amazing? We, we want to know God. We want to have amazing experiences with God. We wonder why God seems so far off sometimes. And yet, the most powerful way he's chosen to reveal himself to us is right here in his word. And it's sitting on our bed stand underneath our laptop underneath our favorite book and underneath our cell phone right you know what i'm saying it sits there it gets a little dusty now those of you who know me well and have heard me preach before i'm not saying any of this to shame us okay I, if if that's what you're hearing you're missing the point please don't hear that that's not who i am i'm a preacher of good news and you'll totally miss the point if you hear this and think oh boy that's me i don't read my bible and he's trying to you know motivate me to read my bible the point of what I'm trying to help us see today is that this amazing God, the God who feels unknown to us and the God who sometimes feels far away, has less, left an amazing revelation of himself for us. And it's my hope today that you'll be confident in that revelation. It's my hope today that you'll feel a new passion for wanting to know the truth of who God is and what God wants you to know about who he is. 
because it's right there in front of us. If you want to know God, if you want to have an experience with God, if you want to understand God more deeply, if you're sitting there today saying, I wonder if there is a God, this is where you start. And this is where the revelation of who God is is most profound. Now, the Bible does tell us that there's a revelation outside of here, and that's nature and other things we can look around and we can see God, uh, excuse me, we can see the works of God and we can go, now let me we, you know, make sure I'm clear on this. We don't see God in the tree. We see the works of God when we see the tree. When you see all these leaves changing, you're seeing the works of God. And when we look out at nature and the world around us, we can see the power of God, the majesty of God. But if you want to know him intimately, that only comes through Jesus Christ, and that can only happen through the Word, through the Bible. And what is so cool and what's so amazing is that God left a written document for us. Someday I hope my great, great, great grandkids know something about me. But I've realized that if they're going to know something about me, I'm going to probably have to write it down. Because I don't know if my kids are going to be passing around stories. I love the family stories, right? And so I was uh, passing those things along. So my kids know stuff about people that they've never, people I never met, actually. <laughs> and they, I love to pass those stories down. But that doesn't happen so well anymore. And so how do we know things about history? How do we know things even about our families? A lot of it's been written down. Well, here's the amazing thing. The God of the universe said, I'm going to put this in written form for you. That's why I titled this, The Word Became Flesh and It Became Words. Because if you're familiar with the Bible, in John chapter 1, it said, The Word became flesh. The Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and lived among us. And then they took all of the things that he was about, and they wrote those down in actual words. And then we've been looking at in this whole series how all of the Old Testament, all of those words connect us to who Jesus is. So that's where we're going today. That's why we picked this particular passage of all the parts of 2 Peter. And if you think of all of the thread that we've been talking about, this might feel like a little bit of a different sermon because this one is specifically about the, the power of God's word and the use of God's word in our lives. So let's get into the text now. Let me just give you a little bit of a background. Peter's coming to the end of his life, and he's writing some final letters to the churches that he has planted and developed and discipled. Remember, the church is just starting out when we're getting these books. And there's a few things that he wants them to know as he's finishing up his journey. And he wants them to know the testimonies that he is sharing are true because he was an eyewitness. So that's the first thing he's trying to get across, that the testimonies that he's writing down are true because he was an eyewitness and he saw these things himself and he wrote them down. And then he wants them to know that his testimony as an eyewitness confirms the testimony that the written words are indeed true. So his testimony as an eyewitness is going to confirm all of the Old Testament, that the things written in the Old Testament that were pointing towards Jesus are true because he was an eyewitness and saw them. So there's two kinds of eyewitness. The things that he, he saw Jesus do, he's writing those down, and then the connections from the Old Testament, how they all point us to Jesus, he's confirming those things because now he's an eyewitness. And the third thing he's going to do here, and that the testimony of the written word is going to be the reliable witness of Christ till he returns. Hang on to that. Get that deep in your, in your mind this morning. The testimony of the written word, the Bible, 
is going to be the reliable witness until Christ comes back. There's no other witnesses until Christ comes back. There's no other eyewitnesses that can come and say, yep, I saw Jesus just the other day in person. Now, a cool thing is happening around the world where people are having visions of Jesus, people are having dreams of Jesus, places where people don't have a Bible, they're having encounters with Jesus, but actually Jesus coming down in the present or actually somebody who said, I actually have been an eyewitness of Jesus, there's no more of that until Jesus returns. What we do have is his word. The eyewitness is here, and it's reliable, and it's the piece that's supposed to help us to understand who he is. Okay, so all that is our background. Let's go into the passage and take it verse by verse. If I've lost you, come on back, because I hope that you'll see the importance of what we're talking about here today. So this is verse 1, um, 2 Peter 1, verse 16, but the first verse we're going to look at today. This is the Apostle Peter speaking, and he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter, this is how one commentator puts it. Peter solemnly declared that the testimony of the apostles, all of the apostles, a testimony that they would endure torture and would give their lives for, was not based on clever fables or even half-truths, but on their eyewitness account. And they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses of how glorious he was. Not just heard about him, they saw him in person. And they saw this stuff in person. And what was happening and why this commentator is saying this is at that time, there were those who were accusing Peter and John and the apostles. Oh, these are just fables and myths like all the other fables and myths that were going on around in the first century. But they were saying, no, this isn't a fable. This isn't a myth. We saw it in person. And look what they saw. This is amazing what they saw. They saw the power of Christ. So we made known to you the power. They saw him in power. They saw him do miracles. They saw him rise from the dead. And under the threat of torture and under the, they were going to all give up their lives for this, they all stood by that testimony and never wavered on that testimony. That they saw the power of Jesus and they saw what he did, and they saw particularly that he was risen from the dead. And then it says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They saw his presence. They saw his power. And then they just saw him right there. Can you imagine that there was right there they could touch him? They, they spent time with him. They had meals with him. They could shake hands with him. They could fish with them. They, they did all of the kinds of things that we see in the, Old, in the New Testament. They went fishing together. They, they ate together. They had time together. They spent time together. They had conversations together. They experienced his presence, and then they experienced something even greater. It says his majesty. So they were able to see his power. They were able to be in his presence, and they were able to see his majesty. And Peter says, we're writing these things down so that you know that it came from eyewitnesses who saw these things. And then he goes on to say this, what was that majesty? What was part of the majesty that they saw? Verse 17, for when, we, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's one of the places we saw his majesty and glory. Now, you might be going, okay, what is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about something a little farther back in the New Testament. 
back in Matthew chapter 17. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. This is this experience that Peter had and with a couple of the other disciples when Jesus brings them up on the mountain and they see him transfigure into his glory and the voice from heaven speaks. And that's part of the testimony that Peter says, I'm writing that down because I saw it. I was an eyewitness with two other disciples an eyewitness of three people makes it pretty valid, right? If three people see something and they all agree upon what they saw and he's saying, this is what we saw and we're trying to tell you about it. And I'm going to read it this morning and this is what Peter is referring to when he's talking about the majesty that he saw. This is Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, use your imagination and just picture. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, put yourself in Peter's shoes and pretend that you're Peter. This is what you're seeing. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Are you picturing it now? You're sitting there. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard it, put yourself there, they fell on their faces. You fell on your face with ter- and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise and have no fear. And when he, they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's what Peter is referring to in this passage. That experience that he had. I hope that you got just a little bit of a picture as you tried to imagine it. Now let me ask you this question. Would you deny that if you saw that with two other people? Peter says, I saw it, and I'm writing it down, and it's testimony, and it's true. And you can do what you want with it. You can either accept that testimony or reject it, but it is what happened. And I'm testifying to it, and I saw the majesty of Jesus Christ. And I heard the voice from God as he honors the Son. And God honors the Son and glorifies the Son, and he declares him to be his beloved Son, And then, what does he declare about him being his beloved son? This is really an important piece. He said he was well pleased with him. This is a really crucial part of this passage. Reminds us that he was well pleased with Christ. And it reminds us that what God's intention was, was to glorify Christ, to declare that he was his son, And then to say, I'm well pleased with him. This matters for you and I, and here's why. First thing is, I want to just challenge us and encourage us that we need to be a little more precise when we're talking about our relationship with God and with Christ. We need to use more accurate and precise language. God the Father is glorified when the Son, Jesus, is exalted and lifted up. Our testimony... Our proclamations of the gospel must have Jesus as the central figure. If we're talking about God, the only way we know we're talking about the same God is when we're talking about the God who is revealed in Jesus. 
So our proclamations of the gospel can't just be kind of like this neutral conversation about God. It has to be about the God who sent Jesus and was well-pleased in Jesus and who said, Jesus is my beloved son and glorified him. It is in Jesus that God is well-pleased. It is in Jesus that God is glorified. And it's Jesus who died on the cross on our behalf. Jesus even says this in John 13, 31 and 32. This is what it says. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So the reason you hear us talking so much about lifting up Jesus and making much of Jesus is that's the way God is glorified. And Jesus himself says it. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him... God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about the God who has made himself known in Jesus. We're talking about the God who has glorified himself through Jesus. And so it's important that you and I keep that in the right order, that we're talking about the God of the universe who has made himself known through Jesus. And that's why we need to have Jesus be the central part of our testimony, central part of all that we're doing, because that's how God is glorified. And so, he's well pleased in this one, and that's going to have some more implications for us later in this passage. And then he says this in verse 18, for we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is how one commentator puts it. What a gracious declaration was made. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased the best voice that ever came from heaven to earth. God is well pleased with Christ. And guess what that means? When we put our faith in Christ, he's well pleased with us. See, that's why this is so crucial. That's why all this matters. That's why this is such a powerful passage. And that's why I want you to stay with me through this, because this is so crucial. They were eyewitnesses to God saying, these things about Jesus, that he was beloved and that God was well pleased with him. Now listen, this is why this matters. Because he was beloved by God and God was well pleased, those are the two things that make it worthy, him worthy to go to the cross on our behalf. He's going to die for our sins because he's beloved by God and God is well pleased in him. Because he was loved by God and God was well pleased with him, And the life that he lived, that makes him the perfect sacrifice. That makes him a pleasing sacrifice in my behalf for my sin. And guess what the good news is here? Now listen to this. Through faith in Christ, you and I are now beloved sons and daughters of God. Listen, if you put your faith in Christ, this passage is saying that he is well pleased with you. The God of the universe is well pleased with you. Do you believe that? That he is well pleased with you? Now this is an interesting mystery, isn't it? And maybe this image will work for you. Listen, faith is not a works, but this, this is what we're saying here. That he is well pleased with you when you put your faith in the one that God is well pleased with, Jesus. But here's how it's not a work. And this is the best image I could come up with. And those of you who have had kids, um, maybe this works for you. 
those of you who don't have kids, think about when you were a kid, and maybe this will work for you. But do you remember that thing that was maybe terrifying as for a child? In my case, sometimes it was water. When it first started out, my kids would be scared of the water, and you're trying to take them in to go swimming in a pool or in the lake. We had a family cabin, so we spent a lot of time in the water. Maybe it was something else that was really scary. You know, you ever, like, little step here, and you, you know, go like this or something, and, you know, you tease them a little bit. Whatever it is that was scary for them. But do you remember in those serious moments, like, going into the water, that you held on to them really tightly? That's what Jesus does. But guess what the kid is doing, too? What is the kid doing? Holding on pretty tightly. I got four of them. Whenever I took them into a place that they were scary, I knew I had them, but they were holding on for dear life, right? Grabbing everything. Grabbing hair, grabbing, you know. I even had a mustache at one time. Oldest would grab the mustache, you know. I mean, they're just grabbing on, holding on for dear life. That's what we're talking about here. That's the picture of faith is... I know that it's God who's holding me. I know that it's Jesus who's holding me safe, but I'm still holding on for dear life too. I know it's not me holding on to him that's keeping me safe. It's him holding on to me. My eternity, my salvation, my being forgiven of sin is not me holding on to him. He's the one holding on to me, and I'm secure all the time. But those moments when I don't feel it, I'm grabbing on. I'm holding tight. That's how I think faith works. Because what happens sometimes is we talk about holding on to Jesus by faith, and then some of us will feel like, well, that's a work, and we're not saved by works. We're only saved by faith. See, Jesus is holding on to me, and I'm holding on to him for dear life. But the good part is I might let go sometimes. He never, ever lets go. That's the good news this morning. And see, God is well pleased with his son and all that have been saved by the son. That's great news. I can't give you better news than that this morning. That God is well pleased in his son, Jesus. And those who have been saved by his son, he is well pleased with them as well. You put your name in it. He is well pleased. Put your name in it. 